Welcome to The Lawyerist Podcast, a series of conversations about law practice. Each week, we talk with legal entrepreneurs and innovators about building a successful law practice in today's challenging and constantly changing legal market. And now, here are your hosts. Hi, I'm Sam Glover. And I'm Aaron Street, and this is episode 186 of the Lawyerist Podcast, part of the Legal Talk Network. Today, we're talking with prominent podcaster and former lawyer Jordan Harbinger about networking. Today's podcast is brought to you by LawPay, Ruby Receptionist, New Law Business Model, and SaneBox. We appreciate their support, and we'll tell you more about them later in the show. So this episode launches on Wednesday, August 22nd, even though we're recording it a little bit before that. And that means today, the launch day of this episode is the end of our first Lawyerist LabCon event, the event formerly known as TBD Law. And assuming everything went well... I mean, everything's going to go well. And by we the talk time... In the- by future the time, tense or the past tense <laughs> about am, a thing that happens in the future? Having done that, similar events that we were calling TVD Law, I know that I am going to be exhausted and energized at the same time in a weird mix. And I personally will be heading home and then off on a family vacation. So Yeah, so we just launched the second cohort of our Lawyerist Lab program. So Lawyerist Lab Class 2 just started in the last couple of weeks. And so LabCon event will be the first time that that group gets to meet each other that our first lab cohort come together and that lots of other members of our former TBD law community come back together in reunion format for three days of amazingness together. And so this is kind of the premier event we put on each year and we're really excited about it. We're confident this is going to be our best one yet. Um, And we're already starting to brainstorm ideas for the next one, which would be either TBD Law 5 or LabCon 2, depending on (laughs) which, which brand you're stuck in. If you happen to be interested in any of these things, the third class or cohort of Lawyerist Lab is already starting to be recruited. Um, You can learn more at lawyerist.com slash lab and getting into that class would put you on the list for the next lab con. And I'm confident after you start hearing about some of the things we've done at this event, that it's going to be one you're going to want to participate in in the future. Yeah, you're going to be hearing more about it because while we're there, we're going to be talking to labsters about LabCon, about their practices. You'll be hearing them on the podcast, seeing them on Lens. And if you want an invite, you've got to be in lab. So check it out. On a different note, my wife, Kelly, and I, Kelly, you all know through her law podcast, Clienting, um, we spoke at Minnesota's... And and from the intro to this podcast. Yes, and her voice from (laughs) moments ago on the intro to this podcast. Kelly and I spoke at... At Minnesota's small firm conference a couple weeks ago. Sam also spoke separately. Kelly and I were talking about law firm websites and online marketing. And someone in the audience asked us about Google local search and the Google My Business profile for your business. And when we mentioned to the audience how to claim your free Google local profile so that you can rank for local search, almost everyone in the audience grabbed their pencil and started scribbling that down, which implied to me that this is an opportunity for a lot of you to capture some free low-hanging fruit today, which is go claim your Google My Business profile, which can be found at google.com slash business. And this is how you show up on Google Maps, how you get that cool box on search results, right, Aaron? Like this is essentially your business presence on Google. Yeah. And it has 
all sorts of ramifications. Google has not been shy about indicating that this portion of their search engine is where they are putting huge amounts of current and future effort. They're optimizing their algorithm to really help people find products and mostly services using Google Local as opposed to the kind of the norm or historic kind of content search portion of Google search. And so in this case, now when you search for Atlanta a divorce attorney, it is possible you will find blog posts or websites near the top of that ranking, but you are certain to find a pack of Google local business profiles at the top of that page. And there are techniques and tricks for optimizing your profile, but at the bare minimum, claim it. It's free. You want to be in control of the photos of your office building, the photos of the space you're in setting your office hours, including a link and a phone number, all of those things. And if you don't, either your competitors are going to beat you or Google's just going to pick information about you that you're not in control of. So it's free. It takes five minutes. If you want to go way deep in the weeds of optimizing your profile, there's plenty of content to find about how to do that. But spend two minutes at a minimum, go to google.com slash business, claim your profile, and then see if you want to dig in beyond that. On this week's Lens episode on YouTube, Marshall and I discuss a really cool concept, a readme for managers. Uh, readme being kind of the tech geek jargon for a text file that used to ship with all software and really still does telling you what you need to know about that software. But this is from the perspective of a manager written for the employees who report to you. So if you manage anyone, I think you'll like the idea. I think it's a really cool idea. You can find that video on the front page of lawyerist.com and on our YouTube channel. And please take a moment to go to YouTube and subscribe to our channel so you don't miss an episode. Now we've got a brief sponsored conversation with Dmitry Leonov from SaneBox, and then we'll jump into my conversation with Jordan Harbinger. Hi, folks. Uh, my name is Dimitri Liana, and I run Growth for Sandbox. Hi, Dimitri. Thanks for being with us again. So today we are going to be talking about email hacks. That's how to get more out of your email. And this is going to be part one. So stay tuned for part two in a future podcast. But Dimitri, why don't you give us some of those hacks? How can we get more out of our email? Sure thing. So yeah, so we've been doing Sandbox for almost eight years now. And over those eight years, we just noticed uh, there's some kind of actionable things that people came up with. So we've done a lot of research and talked to some of the most productive emailers. And uh, yeah, so, so these are kind of just very short, actionable tips that uh, that we found work really well for you to stand top of your email better. Cool. So what are they? My favorite one is uh, bolding key phrases. So if you're sending a, a longer email or if there's a, you know, again, kind of a key takeaway from the email you're sending, put that in bold. It's really easy to do. Um, it's better than making an all caps you know, sentence that, mm -hmm. that just comes off as screaming. And uh, it, it's just going to make you a much more effective communicator. And that's because people tend to scan their emails no matter how much text is on the screen, right? Exactly. Especially useful if there's just the one part of the email where you want to point your recipient's attention. It's just a it's just a much more effective way to communicate. Cool. What else you got? So the the second one is doesn't it, well it has to do with email, but more importantly with passwords. So <laughs> we see that a lot of people are using very very basic passwords, mm -hmm. and everybody at Sandbox uses one password. And there's there's a couple of services out there. LastPass. One you mean password. the product one password, not a single yeah. password? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Correct. Uh, and I don't I won't talk about them in detail. But if you're not using one of the kind of password creation and password 
maintenance uh, services, you absolutely have to. You know, in 2018, it's a, it's a must. I was overhearing a vendor at a conference talk about this, and they said the number one customer support call they get um, is people who have forgotten their passwords and are angry about that. <laughs> <laughs> and in addition to greater security, it's a great way to never forget your password. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But, but so that, but what that leaves us with is creating a password for your one password or for me, for instance, I, I actually have a unique password for my email. So the hack here is how to come up with a unique, you know, random, really, really difficult to guess password for, for a service. And the hack is think of a phrase that you know by heart. And so it can be, you know, a you know, refrain from a song or just some phrase that you know, mm -hmm. and literally start sounding out the first letter of, of each word as you're saying it. Mm -hmm. Cool. Yeah. And so, and basically you just say the phrase to yourself and type the first letter. And after a couple of times of doing this, this is going to be a no brainer and it can be a, you know, very long and very random password. That's, that's super hard to get. Well, clever. We did speak with a security expert and apparently some hackers are already catching up to this. So try not to use a really well-known phrase. <laughs> <laughs> if you're into indie uh, and you only want to listen to music that nobody else listens to, you're probably good. Yeah. Exactly. Or like an oldie that, you know, like an, some obscure song is, is key. I like it. Cool. What else you got? So the, uh, the next one, and um, this is probably my, one of my favorites. So every single email interface kind of forces us really to uh, compose an email a certain way. So you start with, you know, on top of the, you know, of your compose box is the uh, recipient, then the subject, then the body, and then at the bottom you have the um, attachments. And so the, the problem with this is really this order should be reversed. The problem is that this causes you to forget to include attachments. Mm. This causes you to send before you really you know, download the email. And in, try, try doing this, try reversing the order. So start with the attachment because you know, frankly, if you're including an attachment to the email, chances are the email is about the attachment. Like that's the most important part. So start with that. Then compose the, the email in the body and then proofread it. Now, now that you actually have composed the email, you know how to summarize it effectively in the subject. So put the subject. And then once you're done with everything, put the recipient. And that's going to avoid um, you know, hitting send before you're done and the accidental send, which at least I'm very, very guilty of. Mm -hmm. Very cool. I like that one. Yeah. I use Gmail and Gmail has a fantastic feature called undo send, which basically waits to send the email up to 30 seconds after you hit send. So it's super effective. But yeah, at the very least, if you don't put the recipient until you've finished with an important email, you won't regret it. Very cool. So if you want to learn more about SaneBox and unlock a $25 credit towards a subscription, you can go to SaneBox.com slash lawyerist. Thanks very much, Dimitri. Thanks for having me. My name is Jordan Harbinger. I'm the host of The Jordan Harbinger Show, and I teach networking and relationship development skills for the real world. So not only do we do interviews with world-class folks on The Jordan Harbinger Show and have them teach skills to the audience, but we teach people how to use networking and relationship development and social dynamics, body language, nonverbal communication skills in the real world. So it's it's a lot more than just stand up straight and smile at people, look yeah. them in the eye and have a firm handshake. You're looking at like really sophisticated 
complicated social dynamics, but then making them very practical and applicable in, in day-to-day life. Right, exactly. A lot of our clients, for example, are going to be civilian doctors and lawyers, but also military special forces. We we do train one of the largest executive protection companies in the world. So you're talking about essentially bodyguards, although we don't really use that word, of people like, hmm. well, people whose names you're not supposed to mention when you're talking about this particular industry. Like, how do you, how do you recognize somebody in the crowd who uh, might want to do harm to the person I'm trying to protect? That and also things like, all right, so you used to protect one of the presidents, so your modus operandi for getting a private room at a fancy hotel or restaurant when there's public in there is to walk up, show your badge, say, Secret Service, we need the back room now, and then everybody runs away and gives you what you want. Now you're working in the real world, and you're protecting the C-suite of a large Silicon Valley operation, and you're bringing in the CEO, and, oh, you need people to clear out of the back room. You roll in, and you make the demand, and they go, I don't care. This is the Ritz Carlton. I'm not kicking out 47 people because so and so is walking in. Go fly a kite. You've now got to navigate this yourself. You don't just get to be an intimidating person with a gun. You actually have to make it happen. Right. And a lot of a lot of these guys, they're they're great at what they do: shooting, driving, protection, jujitsu, spotting dangerous (laughs) people and taking them down. What they're not necessarily as specialized in is, hey, look, valet. I need my car to be up front. Sorry, sir, we can't park cars up front. Listen here, you little punk. Well, that's not going to work, right? Mr. Ex-Marine, like, that's not going to work so well. What's going to work is, hey, look, if you do this right, I'm going to see to it that you guys all get autographed basketballs from this guy. But I really need the car right here because if something happens, we're totally screwed. And you got to make him like you and you got to make him believe you and you got to make him go, this guy's cool, right? And you can't just get it with flashing a wad of cash and you can't just get it with a badge because you don't have one anymore and you're not carrying an assault rifle, right? So like you've got to use soft skills. You've got to be persuasive in a way and you've got to build and maintain relationships And one thing that I thought was really interesting with some of the executive protection guys and gals for that matter was I said, look, you know, what I really specialize in is networking. I'm probably not going to stick too much into that. And they're like, wait, no, no, no. We need that because we need to maintain relationships with important people all over the world. Because if we need to get into and out of South Africa really fast and there's somebody who's in control of this particular scene in South Africa, we need to maintain a relationship with that guy, even though we're not in country. And I'm like, well, you're talking about networking, you're just not doing it because you're going to sell someone else's ebook. You're doing it because you want such and such gangster to leave you alone when your client goes to Haiti, hmm. right? On a, on a PR tour, or on a media tour. And you've got to know those people and they've got to like and trust you. And that's really not as easy as, uh, you know, I don't know if, um, I don't know if gangsters in, in Haiti have Instagram accounts that you can just DM, right? Like there's other ways to contact <laughs> right. those people and they don't really care that you're going to do a cross post or something like that with them. They don't care that you're going to throw them a little bit of this or a little bit of that. They want something else. And you've got to be able to elicit that, negotiate for it, keep that relationship up. They have to know, like, and trust you. That's not something that most soldiers are trained to do. It's not something that most executive protection specialists are trained to do. They're trained to make sure that nobody gets shot or blown up. And that's kind of, you know, a simplified version of what they're doing. The soft skills are lacking in most professionals in any industry. And that's why we see a lot of the military special forces guys come our way, not just at the Jordan Harbinger show as listeners, but at Advanced Human Dynamics, which is our training company. Why we see those guys come in is because they're like, look, we're living in 
some Djibouti, right, yeah. for a year and a half training counterinsurgency. We have to know how to interact with these people. We have to make friends with them. We don't just come in with a bunch of rocket launchers, set them up and bounce. That's that's not how we make and wage war uh, and unconventional conflict anymore. So these soft skills are becoming more and more important. And the problem is, when the military or executive protection or even doctors and lawyers look for soft skills, they find something like, and I this is I, I respect Dale Carnegie, but I'm gonna throw him under the bus. They find Dale Carnegie and they go take that class and it's like, look him in the eye and have a firm handshake. And it's like, you know right, what? If right. somebody is wiring your Jeep with a car bomb, it's not because you didn't have a firm handshake. You blew the relationship somewhere else along the line, didn't develop the right kind of alliance, and now this is seven degrees down the road. I mean right? I think a lot of people struggle with the difference between that like, you know, is that all there is and then at the other end, it's the, you know, basically always be selling and coming at it like a sales, coming at every relationship like a salesperson. It, it is, but the right kind of salesperson, yeah. because I think a lot of people, especially professionals like lawyers, for example, of which you and I both are, we think, oh, salespeople, oh, uh, you know, I don't know if I like that. So especially if you're working in big law or medium law, whatever, and you're not the one who has to bring in business because you're not a partner yet or you're not a sole practitioner, you don't necessarily want to, you're not in a huge rush to go and learn that sales skill set because maybe you think it's a little bit gross or maybe you don't like it. And every entrepreneur, regardless of industry has this problem. Well, I don't, I don't want to seem salesy. Salesy doesn't mean selling. Salesy really means inauthentic, right? When someone yes. says, I don't want to seem yeah. salesy, they're not thinking, oh, well, when somebody comes and wants this product that they know they need and that I know that they need and that is really great, I don't want to sell it to them. No, that's that's helpful to that person. If someone says, hey, Jordan, I want to start a podcast and you've been doing it for 11 years, can you help me find the right microphones? I don't go, oh, I don't want to seem salesy. I go, yeah, <laughs> I can help you find all the gear that you need and I can help you learn this. I know that I'm helping you. Literally, nobody what wants to be salesy, most of all effective salespeople. Right, exactly. Yeah, effective salespeople aren't salesy at all, highly yeah. effective salespeople. We we know the salespeople that we don't like, that we ran away from because they're like, oh, I sorry, I misplaced the keys to your car. Well, why don't we walk around and test drive some more of these fine previously driven vehicles <laughs> on the way back to the, the, you know, like that's, that's BS and everyone knows it, but a good salesman is the one who, and, and we, there are countless examples of this. And when I teach and when I have taught sales in the past, salesmen who are really good do things like, you know, actually I'm not even sure. And this isn't a trick. This is when this is actually the case. They'll say something like, you know, I don't actually think my product or service is right for you, but I have a friend who runs another, and, and we're talking about a competitor here that can do this. You know, I, mm -hmm. a really good car salesman who taught me a lot about sales. He actually referred tons of people to other car dealerships. Right. Look, I know you're looking for a luxury car and your budget is this. You're probably, we're probably not going to find something here at that price. That's going to be in the level of quality that you want. I could get you into a used SUV for this, but I think you'd be better off looking at this dealership. They're going to treat you right. It's not a, it's not an import. So you'll save a little bit of money. And honestly, the features you're looking for can be found in a Ford, a new one <laughs> that has a warranty and they'll go, Oh really? Yeah. Hold on. Here's my friend's card. Go there. He's sending a deal away right? Most people who are desperate for business and sales are going, that's, you're insane. What's wrong with you? How do you feed your kids? Right. Totally. And the reason, the way that he feeds his kids is as soon as that other person comes back with a larger budget in three years, they go, this is the only guy I trusted this dealership. 
He sent me away last time and I got a good deal from another person. You know, how often does that happen? How often do you find a lawyer uh, who says, look, I can't do this for you, but here's another lawyer. It happens pretty regularly because we're not afraid to say, I don't know intellectual property and trademark. It's unsafe and it's unethical to do that and pretend that you do know that stuff when you don't. Right. But for somebody who's selling computers, that's not really, they don't really have that. Right, they don't get right. disbarred when mm -hmm. they lie. So we have to be careful with this, but that sales skill set is massively important. And everyone, I would argue everyone in pretty much every line of work needs it. And there's going to be somebody who's got their head down at work all day, says, whatever, I'm the top coder at Amazon. I'm in a basement. I'm making $300,000, $400,000 a year. I don't need that. Fine. You don't need it. But if you ever want to become the manager of all the people that you work with or move up to a team lead position, you need that. And, and another type of client that we see at Advanced Human Dynamics is the person who says, crap, I'm 40 and now I'm totally not getting promoted. The guy I hired four years ago is my boss now. What happened? Let's talk about you know developing those skills when you don't have them and pivot to networking. But before we do, I kind of want to clear something up for anybody who might be like, hey, who's this Jordan Harbinger guy and Google you like I did? and see, you know, Jordan Harbinger used to be involved in, in teaching people how to be a pickup artist. Because, you know, I saw that and I'm like, ah, oh, gross. Yep. So, like, what's the deal? Yeah, so when I first started, I was working on a Wall Street law firm, or at a Wall Street law firm, and I knew that I could work my tail off and I could get to a certain point. And that's what I'd been doing mm -hmm. all through law school. I outworked everyone. And before that, when I was in high school or something, maybe even before that, I was, like, kind of naturally good enough to sort of study a little and get by. But then, yeah, I had to outwork everyone in law school. But then when I got to Wall Street, I was like, oh, shoot, everyone's smart. Everyone's working really hard. I don't have a competitive advantage anymore. And so this guy, Dave, who was the one, one of the guys who hired me, he was never in the office. And I thought, well, that's strange. I thought we built in six minute increments. Dave must be working from home a lot. So I, I found Dave one of the one out of the 30 days or so during the summer that he's in his office. And I said, Hey, I have a question for you. How come you're a partner? You're really highly compensated, but you're never in the office. Do you just work from home? Like what's happening? How come you're able to do that? And the reason of course, is because I wanted to know how I could build my career working from home because I figured, Hey, if I'm not in the office, it'll take them a long time to find out that I don't belong here and fire me because everyone's smarter than me, you know, classic imposter syndrome. <laughs> you're right. And so he said, no, I'm, I do work from home, but I'm, I'm bringing business. You know, I go do jujitsu and I go play golf and I go to the country club and I go on these charity events and I go to play squash and racquetball. And I, I go to the bankers dinners and luncheons and things like that. And I meet clients and I make friends with these guys and they, they throw us business. So I bring in business. I don't worry about my billable hourly bonus. I don't worry about any of that. I just build a book of business for the firm. And I was like, wait, what? You don't just work really hard, get promoted to partner and then start networking. You know, I'm 25 or 26. I don't have a clue how this works. And he's like, no, you need to do this stuff now. So I started focusing on that like crazy and what I found was that networking and dating were really similar. Again, I'm 25, 26 years old, so I don't have a lot of corporate opportunities. I'm just going out to bars and restaurants after work and, and after law school, because that was during my first summer as an associate. And so I'm going out and I'm going, oh, I have to start conversations with people. This is really hard. So I worked on that. And I was getting decent at the whole networking thing. And what I found was that when you know all of the owners of all of the bars and all of the restaurants, and when you start going to charity galas for the University of Michigan Hospital, and the chief resident or whatever of surgery is inviting you on his boat to hang out, you start meeting a ton of people. 
And I started espousing all of these amazing benefits to future lawyers and nobody gave a crap at all. No one cared. They were like, who cares? You network. Yeah, I'll do that later. It's for old people right now. I got to get a job and figure out how to be a lawyer. And, and I, I get that, but it's terrible advice because you do need to dig the well before you're thirsty. And so how that evolved into the whole dating thing was I went fine. Okay. Well, I guess nobody cares about this. So I just kept going out and working on networking skills and talking with people. And I found, Oh, um, meeting women and guys is really easy. I can train anyone to do this. So I started training guys and gals to go out and do the networking thing, but also apply it to dating. Hmm. And then when the 2008 economic downturn hit, I'd been doing a show where I applied a lot of the networking skills to dating and relationships, body language, nonverbal communication, persuasion, influence, and people were really interested in that. So I started a business based on that. And I think it's always, it's kind of funny because I totally understand the visceral, like yucky feeling where people go, oh, he, he taught people how to meet and attract women. But you know who didn't mind that at all? Women. Women are like, thank God someone's teaching this because guys are gross. And now with the whole Me Too movement, we're seeing the that sort of power play play out in people who have had decades long careers. And when you give someone confidence by teaching them how to authentically be themselves and be great people that bring other great people into their world, you're doing humanity a favor in a, in a lot of ways. The guys who are doing this in a gross way are like, yeah, tell her you have a Ferrari and then go rent one and then drive. Around. That, well, I mean, those that, guys that's are, the impression that I have of it is sort of a really cynical worldview where, you know, it's a game to see how many people. People you can get to come home with you. Right. And and that's really kind of just like something you built in your head based on movies, probably. Maybe. Like you unless you unless you know someone who taught that besides me who was doing that, then then yeah, like I, I'm not saying you're wrong. There's plenty of guys that do that. But what I'm saying is the what we were doing was completely different. But what I found was exactly what you found, which is or what you've experienced, which is I started doing this. And as I approached my thirties and met my now wife, I was just kind of like, this is one, not something I'm interested in anymore. And two, it's really hard to build a business going. So we teach guys and gals how to do this, but it's not gross. Like all of the other people that, you know, <laughs> I'm the good drug dealer, right? right? Like no one believes you. And so I just started going eh, to heck with all this crap. And I was already then at that point interviewing people like the head of the CIA, the head of the NSA, athletes, entrepreneurs, and people are like, oh, yeah, good to see you're ditching the dating stuff. And I'm just thinking I wanted to ditch the dating stuff for years because at some point you just you get through it. Right. And yes, relationship management skills, they carry over onto networking and relationships and which is what I'm teaching and focusing on now, but going out to my, I'm 38. My worst nightmare is going to a bar and being there after 11, <laughs> because I'm going to have to figure out how to stay awake, right? Like yeah. I'm going to have to figure out how to stay awake. Oh no. An attractive woman's talking to me. This is not anything that I need to deal with right now. Like where's, you know, where's my wife, right? Let me introduce you to a couple of my friends. Like that's as far as it goes in your twenties though. I will throw this out there. There's absolutely nothing wrong with going out and dating a bunch of people. As long as you're not lying to them to try to get them in the sack or something like that. Well, so something that you said to me before the podcast started, which uh, resonated because I think it actually, it carries over completely to just general professional networking is that when you started getting into it, you uh, discovered that a lot of people were just kind of weird about social interactions and you were teaching them to be normal. Um, I think that in the world of professions and, and especially in the world of solo and small firm lawyers, um, we find a lot of people are, have gone solo because they do better alone 
and then you're supposed to network and go out and be with a bunch of other people. And, and that can be really hard to do. Yeah, it can be, especially when, so the 20 something version of, of, I don't want to be salesy is I don't want to have to go out and meet people, yeah. you know, and that, that's, that carries through through adulthood. So it's easy to just go, ew, anybody who does this is bad. Well, okay. Find me somebody who's a successful law practitioner who doesn't actually bring in clients. I'm pretty sure those two things are not compatible. Mm-hmm. Right. So, so somebody who's selling well is doing it so well that you don't actually notice they're doing it. And it's the same thing. If you want to sort of compare it to the dating world stuff that I was doing before, if somebody doesn't know that what you're doing is some, it, well, I shouldn't say doesn't know if somebody is doing it in an authentic way where you're like, look, yeah, I've learned a lot about body language. I learned a lot about relationship development and things like that. And that's what you're using to attract and fascinate people. That's totally fine. So when you sell something and you're authentic and honest about it, it's actually not only more effective, but all the chips are on the table and you don't have to worry about anything. You don't have to keep anything straight. You don't have to go, oh yeah, I did give a better deal to that other person. I didn't think you knew about that. Yeah. Right. And so I, what I've find at advanced human dynamics and people who write into the Jordan Harbinger show, especially lawyers, doctors, and professionals are, they go, yeah, I'm kind of limited by the fact that I don't have this skill set. and us as attorneys and any professional for that matter, we are largely as a group guilty of feeling like we're above learning those skills. Oh, I went to professional school. I don't need to do that. My work stands on its own. Does it? Because you look like you're struggling. Let's take a quick break to hear from our sponsors. And when we come back, I want to touch on what networking really is. It's a word that a lot of us throw around and, and a lot of people don't really understand. So we'll be back in a minute to talk about that. Support for today's episode comes from Ruby Receptionists, dedicated to helping you grow your practice one happy color at a time. From their offices in Portland, Oregon, Ruby's live virtual receptionists work in tandem with their innovative technology to answer your calls live with your custom greeting, transfer calls through to you when and where you want, collect new client intake and messages, make follow-up calls, and more. Delighting your callers in English and Spanish just like an in-house receptionist at a fraction of the cost. They integrate with Clio, Rocket Matter, and Lexicata, as well as the contacts and calendar on your cell phone to easily integrate into your workflow. Ruby can host your local phone number or provide you with one, giving you the opportunity to make dual use of your phone. Call clients using your office or personal number as you please via the Ruby mobile app. For over 15 years, thousands of attorneys have been turning rings into relationships with Ruby receptionists. To learn more, call 844-715-7829 or visit callruby.com slash lawyerist2018. Alexis Neely has been training lawyers on the new law business model she created to build her million-dollar law practice for more than 10 years. Over that time, she saw that some lawyers were hugely and immediately successful with it, and others spun their wheels, never getting anywhere. Just recently, she decided to figure out what made the difference. After reviewing all of her clients' successes and failures, as well as her own, she identified five shifts that were the common denominator among all the lawyers who today have high six- and seven-figure law practices they love. To learn what she discovered and apply it to your life and law practice, go to newlawbusinessmodel.com slash lawyerist. Did you know that attorneys who accept online payments get paid 39% faster on average than those using traditional payment methods? With LawPay, the only payment solution offered through the ABA Advantage program, you can accept client payments online, via email, or in person. No equipment needed. Visit LawPay.com lawyerist to sign up and get your first three months free. Trust the only payment solution developed for attorneys and recommended by 47 state bars. LawPay. 
Okay, we're back. So Jordan, let's dive into networking, um, what it is, how to do it, all that kind of stuff. When when I say networking, like what it, what is the meaning of the word that comes to you? Uh, not not I assume the vague definition that you were given by career services in in law school. Right. Yeah. So networking is a system of building and maintaining relationships. It's basically making friends for adults. Yeah. And the way that we the reason that networking is a dirty word is because we think of like, hey Bob, I'm Bob. Nice to meet you. Here's a card. Card. Next time you need a financial manager, go ahead and give me a call. All right. Next. See you later. Bye. Like then they move on to the next person. I mean, I've had a lot of networking experiences like that where somebody else is trying to do that to me. Right. And and that's why people who are normal, like you and I, who enjoy being nice to people, we don't want to be like that. So we throw the baby out with the bathwater and we're like, ugh, I don't do networking. It's gross. Mm -hmm. And then we suffer the consequences, which are, oh, I don't understand why this other person gets all the business and I do good work too and I don't get any of it. Well, networking, that's why. And so you really have to keep this as a competitive advantage. So for me, it really is about digging the well before you're thirsty and creating and maintaining relationships before you need them and also being very generous. So we say ABG or always be generous instead of ABC, always be closing. And what that means is essentially trying to help other people as much as you can without the expectation or attachment of anything in return. I think that's really hard for some people to get their heads around. It is because most of us are either inexperienced and or a little bit selfish, right? So we think, and I don't mean that it really in a, in too much of a pejorative way. It makes total sense. If you're running a law firm or you're a solo practitioner and you think, huh, I could go to this event, but I'm so busy right now. I don't need more business. I understand that mindset. You're so busy. What's the ROI on a couple of hours spent at an event where you might get new clients that you can't service? Well, the benefit is that you can get those clients and you can either say, you can either hold them in, in the wings or you can say, I have friends who are also attorneys who would be really, really a good fit for you. And you can connect them. And then you're creating a lot of positive social referral currency or social capital with these other folks. And if we're only looking at what's in it for us or what's in it for me, that's the short game. And the problem with the short game is it always catches up to you, right? If you're not creating and maintaining these relationships, nobody else has any reason to help you in the future. And so I think a lot of us are afraid to do that because we don't see the ROI for our time. But people who have played the long game and who understand how this works, we know that the best time to put a spare tire in the trunk is before you get a flat tire. Or that uh, Chinese proverb, the best time to plant a tree is 100 years ago, the second best time is right now. You have to be doing this because if you don't end up, if you don't start this process now, the one thing you can't make up for with relationships and networking is lost time. And the world is littered. I should say mothers, couches everywhere are littered with people who thought I don't need to build relationships because I'm successful right now, or I have enough relationships, or I don't see how this person can help me. So I'm not going to bother. That is a very sort of hallmark unsuccessful mindset or mindset of an unsuccessful person. You mentioned something that it, I just dread, which is the capital N, capital E networking event. Um, like I'm going to a conference in a few days and on the, and I'm going to miss the first night, but the first night is going to be a dinner um, and a bunch of lawyers awkwardly milling around in the same room with a drink in their hands. How do you think about an event like that? How do you approach it? And, and particularly if you can put yourselves in the shoes of an introvert, like how do you get ready to do that? What is your goal in doing it? How do you approach the room? Uh, you know, I'm, I'm curious how you think about that. Sure. So first of all, 
never go to events that are not curated. So (laughs) when you say, how do you approach it? The answer is I usually don't. don't. Okay. Because what, what this is when the event that you're talking about, what I'm visualizing is guy in a $99 suit, stale cookies in the corner of the room, everybody sitting on folding chairs. All right, everybody go around and introduce yourself. And then as we have free time, you can walk up and that's where you get the whole, I'm a financial planner. Let me know if, when you want to yes. give me your money. So this will you be, be a little bit better than that, but you're, you're on the right track. Yeah, it's on the right track. Cause, <laughs> cause think about this. If I have a bunch of really amazing relationships with great people that are doing a lot and my business is successful as a result of that, how much spare time do I have to go to the YMCA and sit in the gymnasium at a networking event? Zero, Hmm. right? But if I want to go to a curated event, which is where somebody's actually picked out other successful people, and of course, how do I meet those people through, not through those events, but through existing relationships, I have plenty of time and plenty of, in fact, almost every month or so, every other month, I'm almost always making time to go to a curated event in, in fact, there's one coming up in Utah and it's like, I want to say 150 or so entrepreneurs, business owners, artists, and amazing folks like that. And we just going to, we're going to take over a place in, in Utah or wherever it happens to be at any given year. And there's a lot of time to meet, hang out. There's little like wine tours or wherever, depending on where you are skiing. doesn't, doesn't really matter. There's activities. There's almost zero. In fact, you're not even allowed to solicit at these events because it's annoying. So it's just about, because it, it, the whole thing sounds like it's geared towards putting you in situations where you can enjoy yourself with other people who you're probably going to like. Yeah, exactly. It's essentially summer camp for adults. And there are a lot of these <laughs> events and they're very difficult to get into uh, initially. And look, you don't have to start at some of these top line events. You can actually curate your own as well. You can start the, with one person, right? I exactly. Mean, but the, the point is you're not supposed to be going to events where it's like mixer for lawyers up here paid $15. So you can get punch in a bagel, right? Like that's, those are low end. And the people that go there are either newbies who are like, Oh, I got a network or people that have no way to get into something that's actually better and more suitable for what they're doing. So you end up with a bunch of new people who don't know any better with a bunch of people who can't get into anything better. And that's, that's a terrible place to be because you just go there, you get pitched 80 times and you're like, I'm never coming to one of these again. And then three years later you do it again. You go, and now I know why I hate these. I'm never doing one of these again, rinse and repeat instead of making real ties with real people that can actually help you and your business and vice versa. And the way that you do that is by only going to curated events, not looking about at what's in it for you, but looking at how you can help other people without the attachment of anything in return. And look, if you help a hundred people and 95 of them never help you back, that's fine. Mm-hmm. You have to be okay with that. It's not because they're trying to screw you over or get one over on you. It's because one, that sort of abundant mindset where you're like, look, I'm not losing anything by helping a bunch of people. I'm building social capital, referral currency, and a good reputation. You have to value that over, well, I sent Bob a lead and he never sent me a lead. So I'm not inviting him to the Christmas party. That is small minded short game. And I meet a lot of those people struggling after 10 straight years of trying to get their business off the ground 
around because nobody likes them. How would you start that from like my best client, my best referral source or whatever? And I'm like, hey, I'm going to go to this uh, baseball game or I'm going to have a dinner. I'm going to bring somebody I think you should meet. Um, if there's somebody you'd like to bring along too, uh, I'd be happy to buy them dinner. Is that a way to start or am I on the wrong track? No, that, that's that's much better uh, than what most people are doing. I also think that there's a lot of ways in which you can scale a lot of these things and by having, for example, one of the things that I teach is for newbies especially is the idea of dinner parties and stuff like that where you invite, and I, I outline this in our level one sort of thing, which is like a free get your get kick off it's the a, rust that's on, on the website which and we'll throw the link into our show yeah. notes so people yeah, can the, click it yeah yeah the level one I, I say course but it is really just a bunch of free videos where i teach things like this and the the dinner parties are really really good because you essentially invite three people and those three people have to bring someone else that you don't know hmm. and the value add is not free spaghetti the value add is maybe you're bringing all attorneys and so then someone comes in and is teaching social media for attorneys, which is a real thing, of course, you know, or <laughs> SEO for legal websites or, you know, how to get a special, how to SEO for your website so that you're getting the type of client and case that, that you actually need. And so that's useful. So the people come and go, that was valuable. And then you've met three other people. You keep in touch with them. You rinse and repeat. You could do this every week or every month. These are sort of the tiny curated events because again, they're curated in that you're not putting a sign out front of your house that says, Want some free spaghetti and you're a lawyer? Come on in because you're going to get nobody or, you know, sketchy people off the street. But you're you have people who are vouched for by the other attendees at your event. Yeah, you're and asking that, people, you know, like and trust to bring more people you're likely to know, like and trust. Exactly. And so that is an important that's actually quite important. You have to have that sort of vouch going on it. And, and that's a great way for people to get started. One of the risks there is it's potentially a way to ensure that you only ever meet people like you. Um, you know, if you're, if you're not in a very diverse community, I think you might have to go out of your way to make sure that you're being inclusive with that kind of an event. I wouldn't worry too much about that. Chances are, you're never going to get to the point where you're like, oh man, all I've met is a bunch of lawyers. Like you should mm -hmm. be so lucky if that's what you're trying to do. <laughs> I don't really see this as an issue. I I've never really had anybody be like, oh no, I don't have enough diversity at my events. It's not that diversity is not a problem. It's just that very few people take this and go, wow, I've met 150 people and they're all the same profession as me. If you want to have a diverse networking event going on, then you can simply curate differently by saying, Hey, look, um, I want to invite only women to my next set of legal dinners or, Hey guys, we've been bringing a bunch of middle-aged white guy attorneys to these. Why don't you bring a female colleague from the office? Can we sort of agree that that's going to be a thing? Bring two, one or two female colleagues from the office so that it's not that they don't think you're asking them out on a date. <laughs> and <laughs> right. you know, we want to get some, we want to get some stuff going here where this isn't going to be a problem because I think we should do better to, to include people, but that's really a high quality problem. It it seems like uh, if you are doing curated events, then hopefully that heads off um, a lot of the introverts concern because you're not going into a really uncomfortable room cold. You may still not be all that interested in socializing on that particular day or evening or whatever, but um, but at least you're meeting with people you know and like. And so hopefully being an introvert isn't as much of an obstacle there. Actually, introverts, it's really like introversion is, is kind of trendy right now. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of introverts are like, Hey, I have a medical excuse to not network because I'm introverted. So I can't do this. We now see from science, like new recent science, such as this stuff from Susan Cain, introverts are actually better at socializing 
than people who are extrovert. Hmm. Extroverts look like they're better because they look like they're more comfortable because they are, but introverts listen better. They take people's feelings into account much better. There's a whole lot of value to being an introvert. It's just that they recharge. I should say we recharge because I'm technically an introvert as well, despite being a performer, a broadcaster. We technically recharge with me time, but yeah. it has nothing to do. It actually has nothing to do with our social ability. We might feel like we have lesser social ability because we don't love doing it 24 seven. So we have less practice than somebody who goes out to relax, but we don't have any in fact, our capacity for being uh, social and generating strong relationships is better than most extroverts. So I don't buy the introvert thing. I, it's really just an excuse that people have because they took a Myers-Briggs test in high school and now they're <laughs> leaning on that to not actually put the effort in. It's a really good reason to make sure that when you do go to an event, it's a valuable event that's worth your time. What about people who are just sort of socially awkward, whether they're aware of that themselves or whether they don't? I mean, how do you work on overcoming that, which it seems like is pretty core to what you've been working on? Sure. So the the problem, I think, that a lot of people have is, oh, well, I don't have these social skills. And very, very rarely do we see people even say that. Usually the people that don't have social skills are completely unaware of it, which is why they don't have social skills. So we don't have to worry about that as much. I would say that if you know that you don't quite have a knack for quote unquote networking uh, or creating relationships, then it's really something that's easy to work on. Starting conversations, yeah, can be a little intimidating, but there's no excuse to not keep in touch with people. There are tons of systems that you can use. I mean, again, level one is full of those systems. And I don't care how shy or like, oh, I'm a little awkward that you are. You can send text messages every day. You can send emails. Most of us send emails all day anyway as attorneys. You can constantly introduce people to one another. It's really, really easy. Do you find it awkward to go to some mixer and start a conversation with a stranger? Yeah, fine. Okay, but those aren't the social skills that you're really going to use in a networking environment. If you're going to the right events, you have your systems in place, you're asking for introductions where you need to via text and email, you don't need to be able to walk into a room nail the karaoke of uh, some some <laughs> it's classic not a, It's not a performance, song. right. <laughs> it's not a performance. You don't yeah. have to pull a Ferris Bueller, jump up on the parade float, and wow everyone. That's not, that's 1% of, 1% of networking is walking into a room and schmoozing the whole place. The other 99% is, hey, Bill, I know that you just had your driveway redone. I'm looking at doing that. I've got a friend who does concrete. I'm wondering if you would connect me to your contractor. I want to price it out. And my friend who does concrete is actually looking to break into our geographic area. So it's a good intro for me too. That's an email. If you're Mm -hmm. afraid to send emails, well, okay. It's a whole different thing. It's a whole different thing, but you, (laughs) I think it can be overcome with practice. And when you have things like basic scripts that you can use in texting, basic email templates that you use, you're really kind of out of excuses because you can be the biggest basement dwelling introvert in the world, but you can still send a bunch of emails. There's just really no excuse other than laziness and, or you don't have systems in place, which is what level one is designed to solve. And my, my theory is at least that in a social situation, the, the easiest way to keep going and make yourself seem interesting is to ask a lot of questions and be interested in other people. Um, even if you never say anything about yourself, they're going to remember you as an interesting person because you let them talk about themselves a lot, which everybody loves to do. Well, there's that. Yeah, that's that's kind of one of the age old tricks, right? <laughs> Pe- let people talk. And, and I'm yeah. totally fine with that. You know, when people say I don't know how to keep the conversation going, I'm thinking, look, ask questions, because a lot of introverts, what we do is we say, Well, it's not that I'm shy. It's that I think of what I need to say 10 minutes after the conversation ends. 
that's fine. So do that. Keep it that way. No problem there. The way that you just keep the conversation going is you simply ask questions of the people that are talking. Yeah. If someone's talking and dominating the conversation, kind of like I am right now, you just keep <laughs> asking questions. They'll keep talking. It's pretty simple. You don't have to do the work in terms of making everybody stay entertained. And I think that's what introverts are afraid of. I don't know how to be cool. No one cares. So I'm going to wrap up by um, saying that if you are interested in what Jordan's been talking about, you can learn more at advancedhumandynamics.com. Jordan, thanks so much for being with us today and talking about networking. You're welcome, man. Thank you. Make sure to catch next week's episode of The Lawyerist Podcast by subscribing to the show in your favorite podcast app. And please leave a rating to help other people find our show. You can find the notes for today's episode on lawyerist.com slash podcast. The Lawyerist Podcast is produced with help from Lindsay Calhoun and edited by Paul Fisher. The views expressed by the participants are their own and are not endorsed by Legal Talk Network. Nothing said in this podcast is legal advice for you. Oh, 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 o